You're listening to Metal Matters, the official weekly Gimme Metal podcast. Hey there, it's time for another action-packed episode of Metal Matters. This week, I'd like to welcome Daniel Lake, author of the forthcoming book, USBM, A Revolution of Identity in American Black Metal. The title pretty much says it all. He covers a uh, pretty comprehensive uh, volume of uh, USBM, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really nice looking book. Um, I actually was interviewed for a portion of it, so I was able to make a small contribution to this, and uh, it really was an honor for me to be part of this. Uh, so please, if you enjoy the show, make sure you follow us and subscribe. You can check this out on pretty much every streaming platform. And uh, you can follow me on social media, Michael Hill, Instagram, Michael underscore DC underscore Hill. Thanks a lot. Here we go. So we're pretty much on the eve of the release of your new book, Daniel. So um, yeah. it's a book about U.S. black metal. So what's the actual title? So can you, uh, can you give us all the particulars about the book? Yes, yeah, so uh, the uh, title of the book uh, was decided <laughs> with with little fanfare. Uh, the title of the book is USBM. Um, just to I make make it clear, make it really obvious uh, for anybody interested. Uh, then I got a chance to be a little more interesting with the subtitle. Um, so the subtitle of the book is "A Revolution of Identity." Uh, in American black metal. Um, a little more creative, a little more interesting. Yeah, it's a cool title because, um, you know, for many, many years, uh, black metal has been viewed as property of Europeans. And, uh, you know, other countries' uh, entries into that style of music uh, sometimes has been looked as looked, looked at as uh, a little bit of... Um, you know, a copy or somehow diminutive with respect to uh, what's considered to be like the first or second wave of black metal. So that's kind of cool. Sure. Although, and and you're absolutely right, uh, but that's even kind of crazy because, you know, some of the original stuff that people get into came out of South America. Um, I guess the Japanese band Psy, uh, were uh, were signed to Euronymous's label, uh, you know, early on. Uh, so so black metal has come from lots of different places, uh, even from the beginning. Well, also let's not forget uh, Vaughn, a U.S. band. Actually, oh sure. Which, uh, ironically, uh, a lot of the, a lot of Europeans who want to claim this as uh, property of their own, um, you know. The band Watain got their name from a song by Vaughn. And uh, the controversial figure uh, in Burzum uh, also claims Vaughn to be uh, a very deep influence on uh, on the music. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it wore a Vaughn shirt <laughs> very publicly. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's interesting. Um, so, how did you... Uh, connect with with decibel because i mean you know they're looked at as uh probably the or one or at least one of the premier extreme music publications uh still still operating yeah uh i mean i'm definitely proud to be a, a part of that for some period of time i've been um writing 
uh, for Decibel Magazine for about nine years. Okay. Um, and, you know, even that feels like it happened on a fluke. Um, uh, so it was, it was great to, uh, to kind of audition for Albert uh, and, you know, back in the fall of 2011 and have him say, yeah, sure, let's, let's give this a try <laughs> and start giving me assignments. Um, so that was, that was great. Uh, and so, yeah, so I've been, I've been working with them on a monthly basis, uh, for quite a while now. And, uh, I guess, so decibel books is a relatively new, uh, imprint that the publishing company has, has been working on uh, a few years old, several books, uh, out there. Um, and I guess decibel books was looking for, you know, another exciting project to get involved with. Uh, and so Albert and I talked about about this project and starting to put this together. That's awesome, man. Uh, you know, because it is big step just going from uh, you know a quote unquote staff writer to actually having them, uh, you know, take take a bit of a risk, you know, on on putting out a a hard copy in the in the digital age because you know even the existence of uh, of a physical magazine is uh, is almost becoming a bit of an an a, uh, a anomaly these days. So. Totally. Congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, look, this book, it makes a lot of sense. Well, from my perspective, it does. Um, I, I, I guess that yes, a, a hard copy, a, a big, you know, book over 500 pages long, uh, in this day and age is a, a pretty big risk. Uh, but honestly, this book doesn't exist yet. Like, this isn't some, uh, you know, a copy of something else that's already been done or an attempt at, uh, at recapturing something that somebody else has kind of done. Um, there are other black metal books, but uh, nothing uh, that really dives into these bands in this way. Um, and so, you know, it's, I had the opportunity to document parts of a scene that has always kind of been, I, I hesitate to say shunted aside because that sounds like uh, like other people didn't appreciate it or didn't give it uh, the, the respect it was due. And I don't think it was necessarily that. Um, there were just other things to cover. Um, and so nobody has spent the time on uh, the U.S. bands uh, and the kind of the 30-year history uh, that, that this music has. So yeah, uh, it, it made sense to put this together. It made sense to to make this big kind of uh, encyclopedic uh, thing uh, to document these bands and this music. So is this book uh, an oral history, or is it uh, like you know what what's the actual um, you know mechanism in which you're telling the story of USBN? Sure. So the idea, my idea, was to make it as much of an oral history as possible. Um, the fact is, my writing <laughs> infects uh, a substantial portion of the book. Uh, the book kind of goes back and forth uh, between uh, the artists themselves telling their stories uh, and, and talking about their perspective on things. Uh, and then, because I kind of tried to do things in a, a chronological way to work through their stories and their musical journeys, um, you know, here and there... Uh, I interjected with some commentary about uh, the albums themselves, the way I hear the music and what I think is exciting uh, about, you know, this record or that record or, or whatever. 
So what was it about black metal in general? I mean, on a personal level, like what, because it is kind of a uh, specific style of music to, uh, to get into. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff surrounding black metal in general. I mean, it's not something you casually get into. Um, and, and so what, what was it about the style that attracted you like in original initially? <laughs> you, you say it's not something you casually get into. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when I was getting into heavy music and, and just kind of taking in all kinds of heavy music that, that I could get into, um, a friend of mine, uh, I said, yeah, like I'm, I'm listening to a lot of death metal. I'm interested in black metal. And his like his ears perked up. He's like, Oh, you're into black metal. And he had all these, like he'd been collecting CDs, uh, forever and had all these duplicates of stuff that he had bought through eBay and he just dumped a bunch of stuff on me. He's like, here, listen to all this. And I was super not ready for it. Um, you know, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't that deep in yet. Uh, and it took me a long time to really appreciate what he had uh, passed on to me. But, um, you know, when I did get into it, I think I, I have a hard time figuring out why this is true. But I think I started looking for lots of things that would freak me out, just stuff that could legitimately scare me. Um, this is true for like movies. I was, you know, started to get interested in uh, horror movies and st- particularly like, like out of this world, like splatter films. And, uh, and yeah, so like I found like there was a record by a French band called Spectre uh, that, it freaked me out. Like it, it, it totally like messed with me. Um, there's that, uh, that group, uh, or uh, project of some sort, uh, Stalag. Do you know this? Yeah, this I've thing? heard, I've heard of it. I'm not, I don't, I couldn't tell you what it sounded like though, but that's a name that's come up before for me. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I should tell anybody what it sounds like. It's, <laughs> it's horrific. Uh, but it, yeah, so it legitimately scared me. Um, you know, moving on to then things like, leviathan that early stuff uh blue house nord disaster even uh, uh ruins of beverest oh great, great uh, man. excellent was man. was yeah so so I, I started getting to this stuff I, I think because i was looking specifically for stuff that would scare the shit out of me uh and and this was doing it now what uh what what time frame are we looking at like how old were you like what years was this you know like so this is probably 2005, six, seven. I was in my uh, mid to late twenties. Uh, I so I should I guess I should say I I came to all this music a lot later than most people do. No, no I mean I wouldn't say that. I mean that's uh, you know that was still a little bit before like how how mainstream it, it got. And well, mainstream is kind of a weird term for that, but how how like successful a lot of those bands became sort of happened maybe a little, you know, like later than that. So it was still pretty a little bit. In yeah. The, in the underground, you know, a little bit. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> yeah I have this, I, I have a, <laughs> I have an irritating habit of, of glomming on to things uh, when, when I find them, right. Like it, I, I guess I don't spend any time with, with other people who are finding these things. Uh, so when scenes crop up and I happen to uh, be interested in it, it, it's it's always by accident. Uh, but things like, you know, zombie films, I feel like I found by myself 
Uh, and then all of a sudden there was like, you know, <laughs> zombies on TV kind of a thing. Yeah, walking uh, and, and <laughs> right, right, right. And, and, you know, with, with black metal and I, I feel like, you know, I, I had to find this stuff by myself. I didn't have that, that older brother or that friend of a friend kind of a thing. Um, but, but, you know, around the time I find myself listening to this stuff, oh, it turns out, you know, this is the hipster thing. Maybe I'm a hipster. Well, shit. <laughs> well, so, so you did, it was originally a lot of the European bands that you, you heard in the beginning, right? And then, um, so what, what, were you able to actually draw a distinction <clears throat> between, between U.S. style black metal and, you know, other, other, uh, like say what people consider to be like the, the canon of, you know, first or second wave black metal? Like what, in your opinion, what typified American black metal? I think, and again, I, I, man, I hate to make like broad generalizations about stuff, but like, I do think that the American scene, the American approach uh, was often just a lot more personal that, that anger and that aggression uh, was very often turned inward uh, to, to what I think of as much darker places to kind of, kind of spin and spiral inside. Um, I think, I think a lot of the European stuff, uh, was certainly dark. Uh, but I think it was, I think the European stuff tends, uh, more toward yeah, the, the, the rock and roll ethos of like loud and, and burly and, uh, and then I also think that a lot of Europeans pretty quickly uh, broke off toward maybe more experimental or uh, like with the, uh, the, I lost it, uh, the uh, Viking thing, some more melodic type stuff. Um, whereas I think U.S. bands, where there is some experimental tendency there, uh, there are a lot of U.S. bands that tend to like stick to this much tighter musical space. Um, and, and, and keep with that darkness, that aggression, uh, just record after record. One of the things I always thought about um, the U.S. black metal was like, do you know how like serial murder is kind of an American thing? Uh, yeah. You know I mean, like there's, there, you know, there's like some, you know, there's a couple of serial, kill, serial killers in Russia. And, but primarily it's an American phenomenon, you know. Of course, you had like yeah. Myra, Myra Hindley and like Ian Brady and, you know, people like that. But Mostly it was a uh, lone American men uh, traveling like the landscape of the United States doing all these crimes. And I, in my mind, I've connected that in a weird esoteric way with like the American approach to black metal. Because a, a lot of the bands, a lot of the more notable bands like Leviathan and, and Zaster are all basically one man projects, you know, and there's, there's like this lonely, like isolationist kind of vibe to it, you know? Yeah. I, I mean, I think there really is something to the, uh, <laughs> the, the distinctly American psychological disorder, uh, that, that I think we see play out on a societal level. Um, but, but I think it's, you know, I think it's true inside many of us. I would agree that, that there's that one man thing uh, is is a you know it's not solely an American thing and and lots of American bands are not that um, and never were that but you know it it, it tends to rear its head <laughs> yeah yeah 
So what uh what what were some of the bands that you um you talked to during this? Um, I mean, I, oh, I, I've got tons of favorites, and um, yeah, I know a couple that you had to have talked to. So so give us a little preview. Who's in the book? Yeah, uh, it was honestly. So I'm excited. The book is a thing. I'm excited that it's coming out. I'm excited that other people can read it. That's great. But I got to tell you, uh, the experience of talking to some of these people uh, was just so great. Like that's, that's what I come away with. Um, you know, I, I spoke to Mike Ford of black funeral um, and he was just such a great person to talk to that. That interview was just such a great time. Um, very interesting dude. Uh, I, I'm just kind of looking back through, uh, who I get. So I, I talked to Neil Jameson a couple times, yeah. uh, Neil Jameson of, of Krieg, uh, but he's also had his fingers in, in a bunch of other things. Um, so he's been pretty great. Um, I didn't get on the phone with Andy Connors uh, of the San Francisco scene, um, but he and I have uh, emailed back and forth a whole bunch. Um, I talked to everybody in Ludacra. Uh, my first interview was with... Uh, Jeff from Leviathan. Oh, yeah. So that was yeah, you got it. Yeah, that was a, yeah. Yeah, I mean him and him and um and, and Neil are like really kind of like the OGs in the scene, in my opinion. Totally, totally. Um, I, I I had a chance to talk to Paul Ledney uh, from Profanatica. Um, so that was a, a cool conversation. Um, I was on the I was on the phone with uh, Rick. Uh, from Usurper, uh, a kind of uh, Chicago band that uh, that is that, that, how do I describe Usurper? Like uh, they they were bigger earlier uh, than just about any other uh, you know band playing that style of music uh, in the U.S. Uh, um, so yeah, I, I mean, I talked to. I, I emailed with a bunch of other people, um, a dude from Nightbringer, um, uh, a guy from Azrael, um, uh, Jake from Uwada and Ceremonial Castings. Uh, I talked to uh, both Sammy and Ben from Goat Whore. Oh, yeah, those guys God, those, those, Yeah, those were great. They were, they were great people to talk to. Uh, Chris Grigg uh, from oh, yeah. Woe. I know Chris really he's, well. Man, he's, he's a blast to talk to. Um, uh so, yeah, and I mean, <laughs> I had the opportunity, uh, which doesn't come up uh, very often uh, and or for very many people. I had the opportunity to chat a few times with uh, Austin Lund from Panopticon. Oh, wow. Um, and that was extraordinary. Like, he's a really great guy to talk to. It's, it's, it was a lot of fun. Now, how long did so, yeah. this endeavor take you? This sounds like a, a Herculean task, actually. <laughs> it kind of was. Uh, and, and I didn't, I'm not sure that I, I took it on as well as maybe I could have. Uh, so Albert and I first talked about it in the fall of 2017. Um, so shortly after that, I sent him like a, a preliminary outline. Um, but I didn't talk to Jeff Whitehead until February of 2018. So that's when things kind of really started. Um, and then it was just like, send out lots of emails, try to get as many people 
on the phone or, or down for a, uh, an email interview as possible. Just, just kind of, <laughs> yeah, keep contacting people, keep, keep trying to reel people in. Um, so I'm a, this was certainly not my full-time job. I'm a high school teacher. Oh, okay. And, Fantastic. uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great job and I love it, but it meant that, uh, it was really hard, honestly, to get work done on the book, uh, any real structured work done on the book, um, for like nine months out of a year. Um, uh, it's just tough. Uh, summertime, like summer 2018 and summer 2019, I really buckled down, uh, did a bunch more interviews, uh, you know, pushed hard to get some text done. Um, but you know, to be honest, we, we, I, I got myself to like February of 2020 knowing that, you know, uh, the, the, the publisher was looking for me to turn over the, the manuscript, uh, in late summer or early fall. And I didn't know how that was going to happen. Uh, and then everything shut down. Um, now, did that work in your favor at all? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I hate I hate to say that, right? Because it's a shitty situation. Um, but uh, it absolutely gave me a shot uh, at at really focusing some more of my energy on the book. I, you know, I was still working. I was still teaching. Uh, we still did like uh, you know online class stuff uh, so I, I still had a job to do uh but it didn't it didn't require you know commuting and uh you know super long days uh and it just it just gave me you know back some of that energy that i needed to uh to push the book forward see balancing a day job and trying to do some kind of creative endeavor that's uh labor intensive like this i think that a lot of people um, don't have a, an appreciation for that in, in some ways because, man, how that must have been. I mean, I, I, being a teacher, I, I imagine is a very demanding vocation. And um, after a long day of being in class and grading papers and just, you know, the energy of being around students and whatnot, and then ha having to have that second wind after a long day like that. How, how was that? Yeah. How do you manage that, man? I, I mean, I, to be perfectly honest, I managed it very poorly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the, truth, the truth is, like, teaching, and I, I, I guess it's not super obvious that this is true, but, but teaching is a creative job. Uh, teaching is a, a performative job. Um, and so bringing what I should bring to my, you know, to my full-time job, bringing that level of creativity, uh, that level of energy uh, to my job. And I stupidly, I will mention, <laughs> during, even like while I knew I had the book to, to work on uh, in the, let's see, it was the fall of 2018, I agreed to be the assistant director uh, for our school's uh, drama department. Oh man! <laughs> so, so I compounded it by by adding another couple hours to the end of every day. Uh, in again, another creative pursuit. Uh, it it just made it like by the time I got home, the idea of switching from you know teacher Dan to uh, you know cult satanic dan uh 
<laughs> it just man, that was a that was a tough gear to grind. Yeah, but you got it done though, man. That's actually pretty pretty impressive, I think. You know, I mean, uh so often a lot of these things that are they start off as great ideas when when people are faced with the amount of work required to do it, sometimes they just kinda like fizzle out, you know. Sure. Sure. And and uh yeah, the the best thing you know, it's it's obvious when you think of it, but like it was it was just a matter of uh looking for the one thing that was small enough that I felt, okay, I can, I can do this thing right now. And then just completing that one thing. Uh, and, and then moving on to the next thing. Uh, it's it, trying, trying to look at the whole project at once. is just, it's just too much. Now you mentioned that you were a teacher. So, I mean, is it, would it be correct to assume that you, you teach uh, English or some kind of humanities related subject, or are you like a physics teacher or something like that? <laughs> Well, I'm both. So I'm not a physics teacher, (laughs) but, but, uh, but yeah. So, uh, in 2002, I started teaching math, uh, and I taught math for 10 or 12 years, uh, before I started also teaching English. Um, so yeah, that's, I, I go back and forth between, uh, English and math classes. You know, I don't think I've ever experienced that as a student when I was a kid back in, you know, the dawn of time when, uh, you know, I, man, I, I just feel like those are two completely different sides of your brain that you use. That's pretty interesting. Yeah, I can, I can see that, although I do think that my writing, actually, I had, there was another dude who writes for Decibel who, uh, when I met him and we talked for a little bit, uh, he was like, I knew it. I knew it. Uh, he, he said that the, the way I write uh, gives away kind of an analytic, analytical perspective. Oh. Um, Interesting. So, yeah. So what, what motivated you to start writing? I mean, or, or, or were you a big reader or, you know, was that, oh, part sure. of I mean, your, uh, was that part of your, your studies in college or cause I, I find that's the thing I'm having a hard time reconciling is cause I, I fuck around writing, you know, I, I write here and there. <laughs> You fuck around with it. Like, yeah, you really write, yes. And, yeah, uh, yeah. and like, however, my, my educational background is in engineering. So um, I didn't study writing at all in college. I mean, I, I did actually, my favorite class that I took was a, was a, a creative writing class that I needed for, uh, I took it over the, over the summer because I was, I just, I needed credits and humanities. So I was like, you know, I was I was living in Boston, going to college in the summer and taking summer classes so I can, you know, get a jump on the year. And that's what really, you know, sunk in my interest in writing. But, you know, the rest of my ex- educational experience was like studying like thermodynamics and heat transfer and like stuff like that. So so what was yeah. your background in that? Yeah, I mean, so I've been writing ever since I was conscious, yeah. uh, basically. Uh, you know, I, I have a particular memory of, of sitting down and dictating uh, a mystery story to my father. So this is before I knew how to form letters. Uh, I, was, I was having my dad, you know, write the story for me. Um, so, yeah, I, I've always been a writer. I've always been a reader. Um, that's just kind of always been part of my life. And, uh, yeah, so similar to you, uh, when I went to college, uh, I was studying computer science. So that's that's the degree I have, or the 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 bachelor's degree I have is in computer science. Um, 
and I, uh, but but of course I needed to feed that other side of me. So I was taking, uh, you know, literature classes. So my minor uh, that I had to choose uh, was in was in yeah English literature and and uh, creative writing. Wow, so that, you know that's funny because like you're, you're talking about this and, it, and a memory is coming back to me too actually of um, two summers. One summer when I stayed at, at college, I took a creative writing class, and the summer prior, when I was living with my parents, when I came home, I took a a, a class at a at a local college. Just you know, summertime came around, man. When you're in you're in college, you're kind of <laughs> at least for me, I was kind of out of touch with everyone and. When, sure. I, when I was home living in my hometown, I didn't really see anyone. I just like worked construction during the day and I had nothing to do. And uh, I, I took a, a, just to, once again, to get a jump on the rest of the year, I took a, a class like over the summer. It was a drama class. And I, those, those two classes out of my entire educational experience in college were probably my two favorite classes. And I had no, that had nothing to do with it. I ended up getting a degree in. So yeah, yeah. It's, it's interesting. It, so can I ask, like, how how do you feel like that affected what came next for you, or did it affect what came next for you? Well, similar to you, I was always fascinated with writing, but uh, and I did write. I've always written too. Like even when I was, you know, like I was in in grade school, like comic books were like a huge thing for me. I was, you know, I, I created my own comics, you know, things like that. Like I was always into that idea. I was a voracious reader. I mean, you know, that's how I got into like H.P. Lovecraft and like Robert E. Howard yeah. and like, you know, J.R.R. Tolkien and all that stuff was like steady diet of that stuff. And um, and I think that for whatever reason, maybe it was like the kind of blue collar like town I grew up in. I think that I never thought of writing or anything to do with like literature as a viable way of making a living. And I think that's probably right. why. I, I ended up in a, in a mechanical engineering uh, degree, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, I think that you know there were there was some stuff that went on after co after college that kind of obliterated my idea about like what life was supposed to be like for me, and that's what you know pushed me deep into the direction that I you know that I'm the uh, trajectory that I'm currently on, you know, and uh, yeah. But yeah, that stuff definitely fed it because I also liked the people that I was taking those classes a lot more. I found them to be more interesting than the people I was taking, you know, the, doing the engineering classes with. You know, there was like, yeah, you know, it was like all guys. It was, you know, like everyone was like, you know what I'm saying? You go, you take like a creative writing class. There's like, there's, there's women there. You know, you take like yeah, a, a sure. drama class. There's other people. There's like people who have different, things going on besides like stressing out about like you know like dynamics and kinematics or whatever you know yeah and and i definitely for, for me, wasn't wasn't part of that that wasn't you know it, i didn't really fit in with any of those people but i felt more um more allegiance with people doing creative stuff definitely i get that yeah yeah for for me i think uh because writing was not a surprise to me that i was into it uh, but I had the opportunity to study in Italy for a semester, and uh, I got shoehorned into an art class uh, that I had no interest in being in. Like I, I fought it. Like 
that was not it wasn't something I signed up for. I didn't want to be there. Uh, it was called the Art of Rome, and I was like, I don't want to study like how people like you know what this you know brushstroke means. I, I I don't have that mind. And man, that class changed my life. <laughs> like it it like uh, it gave me honestly. I think my interest in heavy music uh, can be traced to that time where I like understood uh, that there was more depth. Uh, to the art around me that I had 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 otherwise understood. Yeah, it's it's um, I I, I mean I, I enjoy a lot of stuff that has to do with Rome, so I probably would have really liked that class, you know. But uh, mm. did uh, did you get any encouragement during your your educational uh, you know endeavors that you should follow you know follow like uh, you know any of these writing um, you know proclivities that you had? Uh, there was. Some of that, um, it, I'm not sure it ever stuck. Uh, I had, I, I took a, a course, I think it was called Medieval Myth and Modern Narrative. Oh, cool. Um, and I wrote a, a term paper for that class. Uh, and I know that, that that professor contacted me and was like, hey, you know, if you put some more like time and effort into this topic, uh, I think this paper could get published uh, in, in some journal. And I was like, Oh, that sounds awesome. But, uh, I, I wasn't, I don't know. I wasn't mature enough to understand what that meant or, or, or how to, how to do any of that. Isn't that fucked up, man? How that happens when you're like, you don't yeah. understand that sometimes like you're, you're so young and totally like clueless that you don't even understand some of the like opportunities that are put before you. And right. Right. Years later, you look back and you're like, "Oh man, maybe I should have did that," you know. But yeah, that's funny. But but you know, I will say, uh, and and I think this probably shows through in uh, the the art life balance, you know, the, the the way that you have lived and the the your own creative side. Um, I, I really do think that the different sides of a person uh, each inform the other. Uh, I gotta say, like. You know, I think my my life would be poorer. Uh, it, well, not just monetarily, but I suppose monetarily. Uh, if I had, you know, just straight like gone, you know, for uh, you know a writing degree, and I had pushed for writing, and writing was my whole thing. Um, I, I just feel like I would miss out on the way I think about the world that has been informed by all the technical stuff I've also been part of. That's a good way of seeing it, I guess. Yeah, definitely. You know, there are times I I feel the same way too. I think you know, um, you know, it's good. It's good to have a um, you know, a, a sort of bandwidth of skills. You know, not just one skill set. It's good to have all these different experiences to pull from. I, I suppose. So yeah, that's cool. Now, black metal. Uh, there's always a philosophical kind of. Uh, you know, vibe with a lot of stuff. And, and, you know, even with American bands, uh, you know, like you, we mentioned earlier that the Europeans uh, were into like this Norse mythology thing, Vikings, you know, uh, at, at some point the Swedes got into Satan and all this other uh, esoteric sort of studies. Now, is that something that interests you at all? Like the occult or anything like that or Satanism? Because, you know, that's part of like the, the, the aesthetic of the music. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it absolutely did for a while. Um, so I, I was raised Catholic. 
Um, and you know, sh- shaking that off takes some, uh, <laughs> takes some work. Uh, I mean, I was, I was not just raised Catholic and, and certainly not resentful of it as, as a kid. I was, uh, I was very involved, uh, as a younger person. Uh, so as, as that changed, as my, my outlook on that changed, um, you know, part of what influenced me was the kind of the dark occult stuff uh, that I was hearing in music. Uh, and that was really interesting to me. Um, you know, I, I, I read or have read a lot of Stephen King. Sure. And me too. some of his stuff, like what, what I've loved about his stuff uh, is the sense of a world beneath the world. Um, some, some underbelly that seeds behind what we can see. Um, and, and that just really excited me. And, and I felt like a lot of this, uh, music, black metal uh, in particular, was was hinting at that. Was was kind of brushing aside the veil uh, and and giving me a glimpse of of something darker uh, behind things. Um, even that for me uh, has kind of fallen away. Uh, I'm I'm very comfortably. I don't even know what the, what the word for it is. Uh, I'm 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 happy with the world being just what it physically is. <laughs> and I don't, I don't necessarily know that I see anything, uh, uh, supernatural behind it, uh, at this point in my life. Um, but, uh, I, I still think that there's depth to the human experience. Uh, and that's what the, that, that's what excites me about the music now is that it still digs into who we are and, and, and how we experience the world. You, know, you mentioned Stephen King. Have you ever read uh, the Revival or R- Revival? It's uh, oh yeah, yeah. That, that's a great one, man. I just read that a few yeah. months ago. Yeah, yeah, cool. What, what did you dig about it? Uh, once the kind of what we were taught, what you just mentioned, actually, about how uh, I mean that book pretty much deals with uh, a world behind the world, really, like a reality behind yeah. reality, and uh, yeah, like a bigger. Uh, well, in, in the case of this book, more terrifying and bleak universe that sort of uh, objectively lurks above or beyond the reality that we live in. And, uh, you know, the big reveal at the end of the book is that, uh, you know, they're, they're, the afterlife is basically being in hell, apparently. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't and it's been a long time since I read that. Wasn't that just kind of glimpsed yeah. um, mm-hmm. and then put away? It was one of his more chilling, chill, chilling endings to one to his books. Because yeah. I mean, a lot of a lot of his books have like, uh, you know, the endings. Things kind of work out. You know, there's like. A, I mean, his yeah, his endings are pretty shitty. Yeah, you know, like they're not. They're, <laughs> I think. They're, but I think uh, the, I think revival ended in a way where you. You know, I was really into it. I thought it was great. It was like I was like laying cool. in bed thinking about the ending of the book because yeah, they they it's like I think like four hundred pages or something like that. So in the final act of 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 the book, it's revealed all this stuff is revealed. Like the character yeah. spends his whole life from when he's a kid. You know, and then there's also that that whole Christian element and the the preacher and all this other stuff on this journey trying to discover this mystery that is, has been escaping him, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know, death and all this other great stuff. And then 
he finally gets to see what lies beyond the veil and it's this like terrifying ultimate reality <laughs> that chills yeah. him to the core and um, he spends the rest of his life knowing that it's only a finite he's got a you know hey finite number of breaths a finite number of days left in his lifespan until he ends up in this like bleak world of suffering you know and it's yeah. Yeah, it's a heavy book, man. Uncharacteristically heavy for Stephen King, you know, because like a lot of his stuff. I mean, I love I love reading Stephen King, but it's um, you know, it, it it's entertaining and it's not, it it doesn't really like beat me down like the ending of this book did. So I think it's one of his better better works, really. Yeah, he he generally has a, a rosy outlook. He uh, he he, or I don't want to say what he thinks, but but his books. <laughs> Uh, believe in a benevolent God. Um, his, his books definitely veer that direction. So for him to for him to uh, veer a different direction is is a shock. Yeah, I mean it could be that he's you know he's moving on in his life too. You know, and there's um, sure you know maybe the he's feeling mortality like all that kind of stuff too. You know, yeah, yeah. So. Exciting. And this is, this book is, um, how can people pre-order it or, um, you know, is there, what's, what's the best method for them to get this book? So as far as I know, uh, right now it is being sold, um, uh, I guess entirely through the decibel magazine website, decibelmagazine.com. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's the way to get it. Um, it could be pre-ordered there. Uh, and then, you know, in, Late November, early December, when there are physical copies, then, you know, it's up for real order. Um, uh, yeah. And there are some, you know, exciting other possibilities about where it might go from here. But but right now, Decibel Magazine is the place to uh, check it out. And what's the actual release date? That, that's actually a great question. Um, <laughs> I, I've been told that physical copies... It, there's there's a hope that physical copies will be uh, in hands or someone's hands, <laughs> whether that's whether that's people who purchased it or uh, or just the office where we start shipping it out from. But uh, physical copies in somebody's hands um, by uh, Black Friday, uh, the Friday after uh, Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. uh, but that's you know that that's a that's a hope. I'm not I'm not sure that's I have not I have not been given a specific date other than that being the the target. That's right around the corner, man. So everyone listening to this has got to hurry up and get their orders in. That's for sure. That's right. <laughs> that's right. So these, uh, you know, is there going to be a movie like uh, Lords of Chaos or anything like that uh, down the line? Uh, yeah, it's, and it's it's actually not very many characters. It's it's just all church burnings. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I yeah. Uh, another writer for Decibel, Nick Green, has has laughed with me that the uh, the movie version of this might be really boring. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but whatever. Um, again, my my excitement for it, my experience of this book, uh, is maybe. I mean, look, it's particularly personal because I had an opportunity to talk to so many. Uh, interesting people whose whose music I am so interested in, um, and I you know I found a way to put most of that 
down on paper for other people to read. So I think I think the book is uh, it tells a lot of good stories from the perspectives of the you know the people who lived those stories. Now I imagine this book, the way I visualize it, would have uh, a lot of photography in there too. So were you able to get yes. uh, lots of photos and the you know proper credits and all that kind of stuff together? Yes, yes, definitely. There there are lots of photos, which is part of the reason it got so long, uh, and part of the reason that uh, uh, a, a good bit of what I wrote <laughs> got slashed out of the book. Um, I, I'm still hopeful that that we'll find a place for it at some point. Uh, but I turned in uh, something that that uh, the editor Albert Mudrian says uh, would have been over 700 pages uh, had had we had we printed the entire thing. Damn. Uh, so yeah, when they when they started doing the layout and looking at how things were going to go, just there were several things uh, disappointingly that had to get slashed. Uh, yeah. But but again, we I think we I think we preserved the core. I think we preserved uh, the parts of the book that really matter, that really make this book what it needs to be. Now, how do you feel about the whole editorial process? Like that that some some people are uh, have uh, a variety, a whole spectrum of emotions about having an editor cut their work up. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, definitely, and. Uh, I actually kind of I have not had this conversation with Albert, and I would love to uh, to get his perspective, uh, having done this with with other writers, uh, getting his perspective on <laughs> on what he thought my my reactions were. Um, uh, I, you know, I went into it knowing, look, this is this is not what I hand him is not going to make the book. I, I know there are going to be cuts. I know that it's going to get you know reworked, rearranged, whatever. I, I can't be precious about this. Um, and whatever, I'm not a young guy. I, 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 I understand how things work and, and I'm not interested in, uh, like I said, being precious about every little detail. But yeah, man, there were a couple of, uh, couple of things that, that I, uh, I just, I guess, again, maybe this is selfish, like on a personal level, I appreciated their place. Uh, and, then we had to talk about, well, look, like th- this needs to get shaped so that we can actually get it to people uh, so that people don't have to, um, you know, sell, you know, younger members of their family uh, to be able to buy the thing. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so we made some decisions and they were tough decisions. And uh, yeah, but 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 that's, you know, that's the way it is. Yeah, that, that's an important step in the process, man. I mean, I've actually read some really poorly edited uh, books over the last uh, four or five years. You know, okay. You know, there's a lot of these like rock and roll books out there, like people writing their. You know, there was. It seems like in the last ten years, everyone is that's played in a band is writing a book about their right. experience in a band, and you know, and some are some are good, some. Most I feel like are very poorly edited, and those are some of the books yeah. that I think, you know, the editor should have stepped up a little bit more because, um, and that and that's what I feel like things would turn out, you know, like if if you just put everything that you wrote into a volume like that, it would just be this like rambling, you know, thing where you lose you lose uh, you lose momentum like three quarters. Of the that's right, through. absolutely, and and we're lucky. Uh, I. 
the team on this project, um, two editors, uh, Albert and uh, uh, Andrew Bonazelli, oh, yeah. uh, yeah. both were editing this thing. Uh, so we went through both of them, uh, who were both extremely good at their job. And then uh, the guy, the art director who did the layout, uh, Mike Wahlberg. Oh, I know. Uh, oh, he's a good friend of mine. I love Mike. Oh, he's... Uh, he, he's so great. Like he's, he's just amazing at what he does. Um, I'm like, he's done, he, he, I've, I've submitted work for the magazine. Uh, when I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of this article. This is a good article. And then I open up the actual magazine. And I'm like, Oh my God, like he, he makes it beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and he did, you know, he did the same thing with this book. It's, it's beautiful. So, yeah. Mike's one of the hardest working dudes I know, man. He's, you know, oh. I, lo- I love, I love Mike Wahlberg. Yeah, yeah, he's incredible. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm looking forward to checking this out. And um, is is there any place uh, like social media accounts or anything where people can, uh, you know, can follow you or, you know, just stay up to date with all the news about the book and all that? Sure. Uh, so there's a. There's a, a, I guess, a, a Facebook page uh, for the USBM book. Uh, there's an Instagram account for USBM the book, um, and certainly, you know, by by checking in with Decibel um, and all of Decibel's, you know, various outlets, uh, that's a great way to keep updated. Right on. Uh, so yeah, it, you say you say that you're excited to check this out. I gotta I gotta thank you, man, for stepping up and, and being part of it too um tombs for me again this is a personal thing maybe not for the whole history but like tombs has been a major part of my own growing through music uh and so to be able to uh chat with you here is extraordinary um and i am really I, I really appreciate that that you were willing to be part of the the book too Oh, thanks, Dan. I mean, it, it was an honor, man. I, you know, I, I, we're, we, in my opinion, we play a very minor role in this whole saga, but, but, uh, thank you for asking. And it's, it's great to be part of that. And, um, you know, like I'm looking forward to reading it. And, uh, so once again, can you just give us the release date and, uh, remind everybody where they can pre-order the book and all that? Sure. Uh, USBM, a revolution of identity in American black metal, uh, should see physical release uh, the last week of November. Uh, and it can be ordered uh, right now. It can be pre-ordered uh, at decibelmagazine.com. Awesome. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it, man. Good luck with everything. Thank you so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Metal Matters, an official Gimme Metal podcast. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. This show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Metal, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care.